Hi, and welcome to Screens in Focus podcast, where we share and connect as we spotlight our favorite shows and movies. I'm Brittany. I'm Diana. And this is episode 15. Today, we'll be reviewing season three, episodes 11 and 12 of The Walking Dead with the lens of defiance. Before we dive in, how are you doing today, Brittany? I am doing well, but also a little stressed because it's NBA Finals season, so just excuse me if I'm ever (laughs) uh, a little irritated. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing great. I had a great Mother's Day, so it was an awesome day. You deserve it. Thank you. (laughs) But first, a recap. Okay, so season three, episode 11, I Ain't a Judas, written by Angela King and directed by Diana's fave, Greg Nicotero. (laughs) (laughs) So Carl tells Rick he should stop being the leader and let Herschel and Daryl take over. Andrea goes to see Rick and company at the prison. Basically, Rick tells Andrea they're going to kill Philip, and they all tell her stories about him, contradicting all his lies to Andrea. So she is finally putting all of this together, like how Merle was sent by the governor to kill Michonne, and how Philip attacked the prison first. She also learns of everyone who has died since she last saw them, and she goes back to Woodbury, sleeps with Philip, holds a knife to his neck while he's sleeping, but does not kill him. Why? <laughs> she could have just done it. She had the chance. <laughs> yeah. Season 3, Episode 12, Clear. Rick, Carl, and Michonne go on a scouting run to get weapons. They drive past a hitchhiker carrying an orange backpack and ignore his pleas for help. They make it to Rick and Carl's hometown and find the town center booby-trapped. They encounter a masked man and Carl shoots him and they find out that it's Morgan who saved Rick in season one and luckily he had a bulletproof vest on. Carl and Michonne go looking for supplies while Rick stays with an unconscious Morgan. Morgan wakes up and fights with Rick, not recognizing him, but Rick calms him down and finds out that Dwayne, Morgan's son, was killed by his Walker mother. Morgan has used his time to clear the town of Walkers, and Rick asks him to come with him, but he says he can't, but allows Rick to take weapons. In the meantime, Michonne helps Carl get the items he was looking for, a crib and a family picture of them. Carl wants Judith to know what her mom looked like. Aw, sweet Carl. Mm -hmm. As they leave, Carl tells Morgan he is sorry he shot him, and Morgan tells him never to be sorry. On the drive back to the prison, they find human remains on the side of the road, along with an orange backpack. They stop and pick up the backpack. Let's talk about the theme of defiance. Where did you see it in these episodes, Brittany? I saw it with Morgan. So Morgan just has defiance to anything, everything, (laughs) and the world. So his defiance and compunctions with killing his Walker wife, Jenny, and how this leads to Dwayne's death, it's just, it's such a heart-wrenching scene when he yells at Rick. He says, you weren't there. And he plaintively lets both Rick and the viewers know that he believes their deaths are a direct result of his own inability to do what needed to be done, what Rick was trying to tell him to do by putting down Jenny. And he now realizes the magnitude of his inactions and he really regrets his own defiance to kill Walker Jenny initially. He assumes responsibility of their untimely fates and this leads to his defiance of letting people near him (laughs) 
and his new safe house and ultimately his defiance of giving life in the apocalypse another chance of having any sort of hope and his incessant need to clear. <laughs> I don't think he's misanthropic and has lost hope in every single last human, but I do think he feels he's not deserving of a life after Jenny and Dwayne's deaths. He speaks so disparagingly of himself and my heart really aches for him and anyone who blames themselves or holds regrets when it comes to their loved ones who have passed away. And I feel like defiance is a difficult part of grief, so this explains why Rick can act similarly to Morgan at times. However, I think it gets easier to be defiant when you are alone, as Morgan has been. No one is there to challenge you, which effectively makes you take a deeper look at things. And it's not as easy when you're in a group with other people constantly tearing down your walls and you're sometimes forced to go with what the majority wants. When you're alone, you get the luxury, but also the stagnation of being defiant to answering to anyone or giving anyone else a chance. I can't imagine how strong Morgan's defiance has become since he has been alone this entire time. I think we should give people more credit when they're not surrounded by their friends or family and if they don't have close relationships with coworkers either, we should try to be more sympathetic when we encounter someone who is defiant because there's most certainly an underlying issue that's causing it. I think that Rick does this very well for Morgan and I really appreciate this moment. He recognizes Morgan's defiance and the melancholy lens that Morgan sees the world through and he gives him the explanation that he needed to hear. That's a really good point, Brittany. I'm so glad you brought that up. I also saw it with Herschel toward Rick. I didn't remember this part at first and was surprised with the way Herschel talked to Rick, but really it made sense and probably what Rick needed. Herschel usually lets Rick handle things however he thinks he should, but in this case, he calls him out in front of everyone. They are all discussing what to do, if they should leave the prison or what. Merle is telling them that the governor has the upper hand here and Rick starts to walk away and Herschel yells, get back here. He tells Rick, you are slipping. We have all seen it and we understand why, but now is not the time. You said once that this is not a democracy and now you have to own up to it. I put my family in your hands, so get your head clear and do something. It is hard for Rick, I know, losing someone and grieving, but when you are dealing with imminent danger, walkers and people, you have to be present. And I mentioned this last episode, I thought he was already coming out of this fog that he was in, but I think Herschel is helping him along a bit quicker. Definitely. And I think that sometimes it can be hard to be defiant towards your friends mm -hmm. and your family because you really care for them. And it reminded me of the ending scene in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Storm mm -hmm. <laughs> when Dumbledore awards Neville Longbottom points because he says that it's hard to stand up to your enemies, but it's even harder to stand mm -hmm. up to your friends. And I think that that's really true, especially in this scene. I'm sure it was hard for Herschel to call Rick out, but he, yeah. right, he needed to hear it. So yeah. it was really important. Yeah, it was shocking, but yeah, it was exactly what he needed. But that's why we love Herschel so much, right? Because mm -hmm. he guides people to do the right thing. Yes. 
I also saw defiance with Andrea and um, and her wanting to go to the prison, even though the governor doesn't want her to. She sees that Woodbury's gearing up for war. The governor's arming everyone over 13 at, with weapons and expects them to fight. Andrea doesn't like this and wants to go to the prison and talk with Rick and the group about peace. The governor tells her if she leaves, don't come back. She talks with Milton and asks him to help her and not to tell the governor, but he does anyways, which drives me nuts. <laughs> Milton, why? You're such a tattletale. He asks the governor what he should do, and the governor tells him to help her. So he does. Andrea arrives at the prison and is treated harshly. They don't trust her, which was really hard to see because we know she isn't a bad person, but I guess the group hasn't seen her in nine months and she is referred to as the governor's girlfriend. So maybe they think she knows more than she is saying. She says, I'm one of you. And how is it that you let Merle in when he kidnapped Glenn and Maggie and had his finger on the trigger, which is pretty accurate. She tells Rick she wants all of them to live together, but Merle reminds her that would never be possible. Before she leaves, she talks to Michonne. Now, I'm going to repeat from the episode here, but I need to because it's juicy and good. <laughs> Andrea tells Michonne, I didn't choose him over you. I just wanted a life and you became hostile. Then Michonne says, I could see who he was and you were under his spell. Andrea explains the people of Woodbury need me. Michonne asks, what about these people? Andrea says, I'm trying to save them all. Then Michonne says, I didn't know the Messiah complex was contagious. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was yes, such a good Michonne. line. <laughs> Andrea tells her to go to hell. And Michonne adds that the governor sent Merle to kill her and would have included Andrea if she had gone with her and says, you chose a warm bed over a friend. That is why I went back to Woodbury to expose him for what he is, and I knew it would hurt you. Oh! <laughs> Michelle walks away, and Andrea cries. I'm sorry. It's just so funny. Through this visit, Andrea has had to face a lot of harsh realities. Learning about Shane, Lori, T-Dog's death, and seeing a tougher Rick and Herschel missing a leg and learning a lot of things about the governor that she didn't see or want to see and being confronted by her friend. I do feel bad for her, but she does have a focus and a mission and does care about this group, which has caused her to be defiant toward the governor. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? That actually ties into the other things that I noticed. Okay. But yeah, I just felt like, wow, what a homecoming for Andrea. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, they take right? her in, I know. they immediately start patting her down, and then she's like, what is going on? <laughs> so I I just felt bad for her. I mean, yes, I understand their point of view, but I just, I also felt so bad for her, like I you did. said, because yeah. that's what I was thinking. I was just thinking, wow, this is how you welcome your friend. Like, you thought she was dead. And then, yeah. you know, she comes along and here you are patting her down and treating her as if she's the enemy. So I just felt bad for her. I felt bad for her. And I think because we know what happened with her and we know what's happened with them. But I think I, I kept trying to put myself in their shoes. And if she's 
sleeping with the governor, you mm-hmm. you know, you most likely would think, oh, he tells her a lot of things because mm-hmm. they don't know quite how conniving and manipulative he is. Right. Because Michonne hasn't told him all of that yet. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, it's just a hard thing, though. Okay, what other things did you notice in these episodes, Brittany? So, I guess kind of going off our conversation just now, I noticed that I felt as if I was in that prison when Andrea first arrives and is desperately trying to convince Rick to sit down with Philip and resolve this without a war. I felt everyone's anxiety and frustration, and I got both sides of this. I felt as if I was part of this tug of war, this community unraveling. I mean, Philip does not plan to back down or have peace with between Woodbury and the prison, so Andrea really wants to save her friends. On the other hand, I know that we've seen this group get through so many incredible acts of survival. I mean, it's no anomaly that they're in another awful situation. However, at this moment in the series, do we really think this group of 10 people with low ammo and numbers is going to survive an attack from 30 plus armed Woodbury soldiers? It feels like no one in this situation has a choice, control, or agency at all. I felt so stressed and uneasy and actually pretty fearful watching this because I couldn't even determine how I felt and what I thought the group should do. Should Rick and company leave the prison and avoid Woodbury's attacks? Where do they have to go next? Where is safe beyond these prison walls? Or should they stay and fight? Should they pull a Trojan horse and try to find a way into Woodbury to kill Philip? It feels like a friggin' mess, <laughs> and like any plan of theirs could end up in a complete fiasco. There's potential holes in any route they take. I just really feel for all of them in this scene, because I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that how you felt? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was just really sad. Like, I felt so stuck. They were stuck. So, I don't know. I also noticed, and this is more of a minor annoyance, but it really bothers me that they all stab walkers in different places (laughs) on the head or their face, and they immediately die. Sometimes characters stab walkers from under their jaw into their neck or up towards their mouths, and the walkers die. But I thought that you have to damage the brain because that's where all the activity is. Mm -hmm. Am I missing something? (laughs) So anywhere on a walker's head is their Achilles heel. You can just stab them right here on the jaw and they're gone. Andrea acts as a walker at his nose and the front of his face just kind of flies off like the skin. But she didn't touch his brain. I'm just so type A of a personality that I hate when things like this do not make sense. bothers me. Like, oh, okay, you can just scratch his cheek and he's gonna die. All right. I do like it when they when they get him with the knife and then it gets stuck Mm because that's so realistic. I'm like, yes, I'm so you know because I worry about that. It's like, what if you have a or what if you have a dull knife Mm -hmm. and it doesn't go right? That's realistic. It's not like yeah, done. Unless you have Michonne's katana. Right. Oh, that's totally different. Mm -hmm. Yes. I guess one last quick thing. What Rick says about killing Philip is quite reminiscent of when he tells Negan he's going to kill him. Mm -hmm. He tells Andrea, we're going to kill him. I don't know how or when, but we will. And I know we're rewatching these episodes, so we're familiar with the writers and the characters' tones and vocabulary, but 
sometimes I feel like they're a little repetitive with dialogue. Or maybe Rick just thinks he's going to kill everyone. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Rick does have his go-to lines. But I like them because yeah. I feel like, oh, that's when he was like that. Mm-hmm. That's when he was, you know, saying, I don't know, let's we're going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Or we can do it. Or we can fight. Mm-hmm. Or That's we can true. live in peace. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so I noticed uh, Carl and Michonne's friendship at the very beginning of their friendship, and I love it. At first, Carl tries to evade her, but she tells him he can't stop her from helping him, and she does, and it's amazing. And she doesn't parent Carl. She is just there to back him up, and he appreciates this, and that is why he tells his dad, I think she might be one of us. (laughs) Such a powerful endorsement and beginning of a beautiful friendship, (laughs) which makes me so sad. (laughs) I know. Poor Carl. Um, I also noticed um, the hitchhiker, and I felt really sorry for him. You know, it's the very beginning of the episode, and they drive by and they ignore him. And I know that they can't take people in just because. But how is that that they drive by him without discussion or any empathy? Uh, I read somewhere that they said uh, they were dealing with the governor and didn't have time for this. Also, they just had dealings with Tyrese and Sasha. So they figured that maybe they didn't let them in. So why would they take in someone new? Plus, I guess he could have been a ploy. Or he could have just been dead weight. I know that they put it in to make a point. It's just I'm not sure what the point is. (laughs) You know, maybe they were trying to show the not-so-pretty side of an apocalyptic world, but I just found it sad. And I also want to mention that in the beginning scene, they showed a sign that said, Aaron, we've gone to blah, blah, blah. And later, when Michonne's car gets stuck in the mud... A walker comes up to the car window and her bracelet says, Erin. It's another reminder of random deaths in this apocalyptic world. And I just find that so sad, but I'm kind of glad. It's just constant reminders of the world just taking people. Mm -hmm. That's really sad. So, um, funny thing, though, (laughs) just really quickly, is with Herschel and Merle. Because they're bonding over missing limbs. (laughs) And quotes from the Bible. So I just I was found so that interesting. Impressed that Merle finished the Bible verse from mm-hmm. Herschel. I was like, "Whoa, you just got points from that. You crazy, <laughs> but you got points." <laughs> well, they have a library, I guess. And what else are you going to do in your downtime? Right, you're going to go read. Right, but to choose the Bible, so, I don't know how many books they had, but that's yeah. just interesting. I'm like, yeah. Oh. Well, that's what a lot of inmates mm-hmm. do: is they read the Bible. Totally. Yeah. So. It's just Merle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, so now we are at our segment of why we love Rick. And Brittany, why do you love Rick? I love Rick because he takes the time and effort to explain himself to Morgan. And though I believe one of his faults is his communication skill set, when he puts in the effort to address something directly, it works. And it's so satisfying to watch as an audience member. And we know it's not Rick's fault that Dwayne died, but he takes the time to 
assure Morgan that he really did try to keep the walkie-talkie updates going, and I just love his innate benevolence. I know. I felt sorry about the walkie-talkie thing. <laughs> it's like I kept trying to call you, but yeah. we kept getting further and further out. Yes. So why do you love Rick? I love Rick because he's a good dad. Carl goes out to talk to Rick and tells him he should give up being a leader and let Herschel and Daryl take over because he needs a rest. And Rick doesn't say anything, but listens. This is probably not the reaction a dad would give a son after what he just said, but (laughs) Rick listened to what he had to say. He may not do what Carl asked, but he does respect his son's thought and opinions. Later, he tells the group that he is taking Carl on a run with him because he is ready. He isn't treating Carl like a little kid. He will do everything to protect him and knows that that also means arming his son with knowledge and experience so that he can make it in this world. Rick takes Michelle with him because he wants to keep an eye on her, which is also so smart. You have to hold your enemies closer, right? Although Michonne ends up being the biggest ally, and even more than that, (laughs) but he doesn't know that yet. So I think this was a good move. Plus, Carl and Michonne bond in this episode, and Carl basically endorses Michonne to Rick. And it's funny because Rick is surprised um, by it, but he values what Carl has to say. So I think he is an awesome dad, and that is why I love Rick. Okay, so what are you currently watching, Brittany? Let's start with Fear the Walking Dead, Season 4, Episode 5, Laura. So this was a good episode, but I just really want to talk about cable for a second. So my only grievances are with cable (laughs) providers. I have to watch 25 damn commercials, and this is not about me being an entitled millennial. I grew up watching commercials just like everyone else, so no one give me grief about this. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we have to watch six to ten commercials during five commercial breaks for a show that is supposed to be one hour. I understand that money makes the world go round, but I almost want to wait until this season is on Netflix so I don't have to watch such choppy footage. And yes, I can pay the extra 10 to $20 a month for recording so I can fast forward, but for those of you who live in the Bay Area, you know it's a struggle. If I have to cut expenses where I can, I will do it with the non-necessities. Yes, I love TV and movies, but it's not necessary. I do not need it to live. I can't... (gasps) (laughs) Well, I can't cut down on food. I have to eat. I can't cut down on gas. I have to drive to work. I can't not pay my rent. I have to have somewhere to live. I dream of a future where we pay cable enough that we don't have commercials. This is why I gravitate towards Netflix, Hulu and Amazon Prime. It's way better. You enjoy it so much more. Anyway, about the show, I obviously love John Dory like everyone else in the world. I don't know who would hate him. And I have yet to meet a man like him. He's amazing. (laughs) And I don't really understand why Naomi slash Laura had to leave. John's place seems perfect. I don't understand why she doesn't want to stay there. He has power. He has fishing skills. He has a VHS. What the heck? So annoyed with her. I love this episode. John Dory is an awesome character. And 
and actor, and kudos to Garrett Dillahunt and Jenna Elfman. I didn't care that anyone else was in this episode except for John and Lori slash Naomi. I appreciate that each of them reveals to each other something painful from their past and that John shows off his sharp shooting skills to save Laura from the walkers and that he tells her he loves her and he rents movies and returns them. I love a person who has movie nights. (laughs) And that Laura Naomi puts medical supplies out for people that might need them too. These are good people and I love their story together so far and I hope They just think she's dead and that she really isn't. I was so happy with Morgan and John's conversation. Morgan is finally in a better place. And I love that he tells John we are alive and we are part of this world, which is what Rick told him in The Walking Dead. But he wasn't ready for it. But now he is. It is something that John needs to hear, too. I love this new friendship. Yay! Mm-hmm. And by the way, I agree. John's cabin is a perfect place. The moat is an awesome idea. Why aren't more people doing this? Mm-hmm. Go, John. <laughs> so what else are you watching, Brittany? Oh, you know me a lot. <laughs> so I'm watching the originals on The CW. It's the last season ever. It's a TV show with characters mm-hmm. that were originally introduced on The Vampire Diaries, and then the producers realized that the original vampires were way more interesting than the main characters of The Vampire Diaries. So they gave them their own spin-off show. Anyway, the original vampires, natural effervescence, I use that because they are fancy AF. Mm. Charisma and deep backstories. They're so fun to engage with, and I love this show. I'm sad it's ending, but also very happy it's ending on a good note. Going out with a bang. And I also watched Safe. It's an eight-episode Uh, one season on Netflix. So Michael C. Hall, he played Dexter. He is the executive producer to this show and he's also the main character and he has a British accent. I don't totally buy it, but I Mm. love the story. (laughs) So this man's daughter goes missing and her boyfriend turns up murdered. And I just, I find it very intriguing that whenever murders happen, everyone's secrets come flowing out. Even if it's not related, it's fascinating to find out what goes on behind closed doors and what people hide. It really makes you think and wonder about our human nature to keep secrets and how honest people really are. So I recommend the show. If you like him as an actor and you like murder mysteries, I recommend it. And then for movies, I watched Castian and John Binet. So this is a documentary not about specifically the murder of John Binet and how it happened, but it's these people who are auditioning to be, to play the roles of the Ramsey family in a movie or some type, I don't know exactly, but they are, the documentary people are asking them about their feelings, about the lines that they're saying, like they go through short scenes and then Sometimes they'll say, oh, how do you feel about saying that? Do you think a real person would say that? And they're like, wow, like this feels so staged. I don't know that I would say this if my daughter just caught killed. So it's very interesting to see all these different actors' points of views on these murders. And some of them knew the Ramsey family Mm -hmm. or they knew of them, like their parents knew them. So it's very interesting how now these people are going to audition to play the roles of them. So I'm fascinated by that. Me too. It's so like intriguing. I really want to know. It's haunting. We all want to know. Yeah, it's just like one of those things that's just... And we'll never know. (laughs) 
drives me insane. Yeah. I just want to know. Yeah. But I recommend that because it is pretty interesting because everyone basically has that same sentiment, right? Everyone's yeah. curious. They're like, yeah. I don't know what happened. Do you think she did? Do you think he did it? Do you think the brother did it? It's just, it's crazy. But I recommend it. I also watched Christine. So this is based on the true story of TV field reporter Christine Chubbuck from Sarasota, Florida. It's a psychological thriller about the events leading up to her making a really drastic decision on screen. So Rebecca Hall, and actually Michael Z. Hall also stars in this, Mm -hmm. and Maria Dizia. She's from Orange is the New Black. She's Piper's BFF in season one, the one that runs off with her fiance. Mm. So they star in this, and Rebecca did a fantastic job. At first, I didn't really recognize her because of her accent, so I definitely recommend that. I also watched The Man Who Knew Infinity. It's a biographical drama about the Indian mathematician Srinivasa Ramanujan, and it's set in the early 20th century when racism against Indian people was really high in England. So Ramanujan goes to Cambridge to work with a really accomplished professor who helps him publish his works. And I was really moved by his story. I think Dev Patel is an exceptional actor. I also watched Rebirth, and let me tell you guys, this movie was so infuriating to watch. I was so annoyed the entire time. So this guy is convinced by his friend to go on this weekend life-changing seminar called Rebirth. And it's confusing, convoluted, and irascibly painful to watch him go through all this. He instantly feels incongruous to the crowd and we watch him like navigate his way through this mess of a weekend. It's very reminiscent of cults. And there's even a guy who gives a speech that says, we're not a cult. (laughs) (laughs) And then in another scene, his friend is asking if anyone wants Kool-Aid. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) So the testimonial parts of this remind me of Scientology. Well, the rumors around it. It's really strange. And this movie seems like a warning off of pyramid schemes. And I felt like I was the main character experiencing rebirth and becoming overwhelmed and flustered. And we, along with him, are trying to figure out the truth behind all this freaking duplicity. So if you like being stressed out, (laughs) then this is a good movie. (laughs) However, it's a damn wild ride if you do not. (laughs) But the ending is mind-boggling and just wow, 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 wow. I did watch a a Lifetime movie. Don't judge me. I usually don't. I usually don't, but it just, it's about the royals. Okay, so I watched Meghan and Harry, a royal romance. Okay. How was that? It's pleasantly surprised. Okay. I thought it'd be god-awful, really cheesy, and maybe it is in some parts, but I actually think more people should watch this. I don't know how accurate it is, of course, mm-hmm. but I think what they bring up is important as far as Megan being biracial and racism and her being divorced and all the controversy it caused. And I mean, I know it's strange to still have royals in this day and age, but I am totally enamored by these people. Anyway, whoops. <laughs> and the actress who plays Megan is 41 in real life, while the actor who plays Harry is 23. And I feel like that's oh, very rare. So I thought that yes, was really that cool. Is, but is. I wouldn't have guessed that. They have good chemistry. Yeah. I genuinely enjoyed watching this. Awesome. Okay. So for TV shows, I finally have been able to watch Dancing with the Stars. And I watched three episodes. And what's interesting is this season, there are only four episodes and they are all athletes and that is highly unusual that's weird yeah so it's like two people are eliminated every episode i think anyways there's only three people left and they're already going to the 
wow. finale. And okay. um, it's Adam Rippon, the figure skater, mm. and then Tanya Harding. And football player Josh Norman, he's Redskins cornerback. He's good. He's pretty good, though. Okay. So anyways, it's, it's, it's short. So anybody that wants to watch Dancing with the Stars, it's four episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and for movies, I watch... Hostiles, a 2017 Western film with Christian Bale, Rosamund Pike, Wes Studi, Ben Foster, Jesse Plemons, and Adam Beach, and then Timothy Chalamet and Scott Wilson, a.k.a. Urschel, mm. have small parts in this. It's based in 1892 and follows a U.S. cavalry officer, played by Bale, and he is forced to escort a dying Cheyenne war chief and his family through a treacherous journey from New Mexico back to his home in Montana. Along the way, they pick up a widow whose family was murdered in the opening scene of the show. And together, they must fight against all odds of hostiles to get to their destination. I will tell you, Scott Wilson played a really bad guy. And it was hard to see him because he's such a good guy oh, in, wow. you know, The Walking Dead. But I'm like... <gasps> I can't believe it. You're playing such a bad guy. <laughs> but anyways, you know, he's a good actor, so I'm sure he has numerous roles. Anyways, it's well acted. It's a beautiful landscape, and it digs deeper than some other Westerns that I've seen, and I really liked it. I even cried, but Aww. that's not shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but the girl, let me just say, in the very beginning, I mean, the widow, her family is massacred at the very beginning, and when they pick her up, and they take the bodies of her children and her husband mm. and they go to bury him and she won't let them bury him. She goes, let, I'll bury my family. And she's digging. And they show her. This is why I like the movie. They show her digging and mm. digging and digging. First, she's digging with her hands and then she's digging with the shovel. Mm. And they're just sitting there watching because she wants to do it on her own. Mm -hmm. And you see her go through all these emotions and then she just gives this cut wrenching like cry and it's it just affected me and I'm like <laughs> so it was just a real and they did that you know with different people in the movie and you know people just had conversations real conversations and it was just really good so I would recommend that movie and I also saw The Greatest Showman have you seen that mm -mm. did you see that um I wish I had seen it in the theater now. Mm. I love musicals, and this did not disappoint. Mm -hmm. I like the story, but I'm a sap for love stories and forbidden ones. <laughs> and But the music is awesome. And This Is Me was nominated for an Oscar as Best Original Song and won Golden Globe for that song in the same category. Mm. And I went and watched... I mean, I watched the movie itself, and it was good, but I went back and watched that song and it's very powerful mm -hmm. so um, I would recommend watching okay. it cool. especially if you like musicals mm -hmm. okay Brittany we are at our segment and the award goes to so who or what was your favorite character quote or moment my favorite moments were all in the episode clear I love all the exchanges between Rick and Michonne in retrospect, it's so delightfully fun to see their interactions and their relationship develop. When they first decide that they're waiting until Morgan wakes up and Michonne begins eating some of Morgan's food, Rick says, we're eating his food now. And Michonne says quietly, the Matt said, welcome. 
that was funny. Like the smart ass she is. Then when they're about to head back to the prison, Michonne tells Rick that she knows he sees things and she reveals that she used to speak to her dead boyfriend. It happens, she says so nonchalantly. (laughs) And then Rick asks her if she wants to drive. And she says yes. And he goes, good, because I see things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe they didn't have any romantic feelings at this point. And maybe it's just because they're connecting and finally getting to the same level of understanding. But it could also be like flirting. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I'm here for it. Rashone forever. Yeah. Okay, so my favorite character was, is Carol. She wasn't featured in these episodes too much, but this is where we see the Carol that we have come to love start to emerge. First, she talks to Daryl, and they talk about the prison being home. She tells him that she knows he loves his brother, but that Merle is not good for him and to not allow him to bring him down. Then, when Andrea is visiting with Judith, Carol talks with her and tells her she can end this all. She tells her to sleep with the governor and give him the best night of his life. And when he is asleep, you can end this. (laughs) What? I remember when I first saw this, I was so shocked. I didn't expect it from Carol. Wow, we have come a long way. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. We are grateful you tuned in and we hope something we said today resonated with you and gave you a chuckle, some happiness, some positivity or inspiration. Please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. We would love more members of our TV club. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We need your feedback. We'll be uploading new episodes every Tuesday. Next show will be on Season 3, Episodes 13 and 14. You can find our blog at the link listed in our description. See you next time. Bye!